Good afternoon. This is KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere when you download our free KUAF app. This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellums. Today, we spend much of our show with Jeff and Marita Clary, and we find out how organ donation saved Jeff's life. That's what happens is you get a phone call. It was Sunday morning. I was in church. I was overwhelmed that day with the donor and their family for some reason. I was just falling apart, um, thinking about the fact that someone would have to die for me to continue on or have this chance at this gift of life. And so I just went in the back and just wept is what I did. We also find out how Northwest Arkansas helped them. The gift of life discussed beginning just ahead. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is praising new potential investments in infrastructure coming from President Joe Biden's trillion-dollar funding package. The governor spoke to members of the Arkansas Good Roads Foundation during their annual meeting yesterday. The governor says the amendment to the state's constitution known as Issue 1, which was passed by voters last year, also gives the state a leg up when it comes to infrastructure spending. We know exactly what our revenue picture is going to be in terms of the stability of it. There's not going to be a deadline on it. It's going to be long-term funding, and we have uh, that uh, capacity to build for the future. And it puts Arkansas head and shoulders above our surrounding states in terms of investment in infrastructure. Voters approved a new half-cent sales tax that provides roughly $300 million each year for transportation needs in the state, including over $200 million that goes directly to the state's highways. The governor says that amendment is so important to the state that lawmakers who spoke out against it should face backlash at the ballot box. When you decide who you're going to support for the General Assembly, one of the factors that you consider should be How did they handle this vote? Uh, And were they with us? Uh, Were they supportive of issue one? How did they handle that? Were they there? Uh, To me, if you're in this industry, that's important. Critics of issue one had argued in favor of a tax on fuel or other materials used by trucks and other heavy users of the state's roads instead of a sales tax. Lawmakers in Washington have said a vote on the president's infrastructure plan could come as soon as today. The Arkansas Department of Health is reporting the smallest one-day increase in new cases for COVID-19 in Arkansas since June. In yesterday's tabulations from the ADH, there were 137 new cases. There were eight more confirmed deaths from the virus, bringing Arkansas's total to 8,384 deaths. Active cases dropped by nearly 400 in the previous 24 hours, and hospitalizations increased by two patients to 331 people in hospitals across the state. Walton Art Center is updating its protocol regarding COVID-19. The venue announced this morning that beginning Monday, November 8th, while patrons will still be required to wear masks inside, no proof of vaccination status or negative tests will be required. A press release today indicates Walton Art Center will continue its enhanced sterilizing of the building before performances. Coat checks will continue to be unavailable and concessions will remain cashless. 
A new office designed to increase Arkansas's outdoor recreation economy will be led by Catherine Andrews. Today, Andrews was named as the first director of the Arkansas Office of Outdoor Recreation. Andrews has served on the Arkansas Economic Development Commission since 2016. The first meeting of the office's advisory board hasn't yet been scheduled. But today, several area residents were appointed to that 10-person board, including Eric Lechuga of Springdale, Susan Peacock of Rogers, and Mike Mills of Ponca. One of the most successful athletic coaches in University of Arkansas history will retire in June 2023. Lance Harder, the head coach of the women's track program, will step down at the conclusion of the 2022-23 seasons. He's led teams to six national championships and 42 conference championships. Chris Johnson, the current Arkansas associate head coach, will take over as head coach in 2023. And the number four Arkansas Razorbacks will begin their quest for an SEC tournament title tonight. The Razorbacks face LSU in the quarterfinals this evening in Orange Beach, Alabama. The match is a chance for Arkansas to avenge its only SEC loss of the season. Last week, LSU defeated Arkansas 4-2 to end the Razorbacks' 14-game winning streak. This is Ozarks at Large. There are thousands of people waiting for organ transplants, kidneys, lungs, hearts. And according to the Arkansas Regional Organ Recovery Agency, or Aurora, 20 people die each day waiting for an organ. Aurora estimates about 45% of Americans are registered to be organ donors. This year, there will be more than 21,000 operations in the country giving recipients a chance at a longer life because of organ donation. Last week, we met a recipient, Jeff Clarity received a heart transplant 12 years ago. Jeff and his wife, Marita Clarity, came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to tell us about their experience waiting for, receiving, and recovering from a transplant. The Clarities are a team. That's evident when you talk to them. And for this journey, they had an even bigger team of relatives, medical professionals, friends, strangers throughout Northwest Arkansas, and a donor family. When they came to our studio last week, I asked Jeff what condition he had that had placed him on the waiting list for a new heart. Idiopathic cardiomyopathy, which um, <laughs> it's the way the way I can understand it is that they don't know what. Mm-hmm. Idiopathic, they just don't know. It just was a bad heart. And I had had, um, didn't even know it, I was walking around and it had two to three heart attacks in the previous year uh, before my bypass that, um, and I didn't even know it. How long were you waiting for the... I got... Um, That's on another the, miracle. Yes. <laughs> I, we got on, I got on the transplant list November 12th, so we're coming up on that anniversary date, and transplanted 74 days later. And that's not normal. That is not normal. Uh, you know, and, and we hope and pray that it becomes more of a normal for folks that as people get more aware of, you know, donation and things such as that. Uh, but 
the sadness in that in our situation is that in a heart or a lung or something like that, it has to be a death of a loved one, and that's a very serious uh, contemplation uh, for the recipient to grasp and get their head around the fact that, you know, the, almost like survivor remorse. Uh, but uh, yeah. but uh, I know that we do have a lot of car accidents and things such as that, and we lose loved ones and. and with great compassion and empathy, we we understand that we've lost loved ones who were organ donors also yeah. in our own family. But the idea that um, waiting for just that short period of time was, it's not the norm. It mm. is not. So yeah. but we were blessed. What was it like? Do you get a phone call and say, <laughs> that morning, get up here? It, it's really... <laughs> That's what happens is you get a phone call. It was Sunday morning. I was in church. I was overwhelmed that day with the donor and their family for some reason. I was just falling apart, um, thinking about the fact that someone would have to die for me to continue on or have this chance at this gift of life. And so I just went in the back and just wept is what I did and contemplated and thought about it. But it was just overwhelming. So that afternoon after church, went home, took my nap like I normally do, and got a call at 245. Hmm. Said, Jeff, we have a heart for you. And it was just, you know, and they give you all kinds of stuff to clean yourself with. Mm-hmm. Of course, our situation is we're three, four hours from Transplant Center in Kansas City. And so um, she's supposed to drive. And so I'm, I'm, I get myself all cleaned As up with this, you know, antibacterial stuff. And and then I say, I've got to drive. I can't, you know. And <laughs> we get a call from our transplant team on the way there to check to see how we're doing. And, Jeff, are you driving? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you cannot drive. Honestly, it calms me down yes. to drive. I can't sit, you know. So I, I, I drove, and it was it was fine, but... Why do they not want you to drive? Being well, number one, I had a heart condition oh, that sure, I could have right. just, <laughs> right? You know, peeled over any time. Yeah, yeah. That's right, because I had a defibrillator. Um, yeah, defibrillator in in that I had to put in, and and my heart was just it was, it was operating at six to eight percent ejection oh. fraction, which normal is sixty five percent, and it was steadily going down mm-hmm. over the over the time. And it was actually, I was actually having medicine dripped into my heart to keep it pumping. Mm-hmm. And it's like the doctor said when he did that, they said, now, Jeff, this is like uh, beating a dead horse. We can only do it so much. and then so much and we, then, then it doesn't work anymore. Won't it won't, that medicine will not, you know. And I'd had no medical issues prior to heart conditions at all. So it was a, a life-changing, you know, shock. To, to have to go through all of that that kind of thing. Do you know much about the donor? Yes, yes as we a do. matter of fact. The, Not um, immediately after transplant. The I wrote letters mm-hmm. to the donor family every six to eight weeks, just a thank you note, which is it's very difficult. I get a lot of questions from a lot of recipients say, how do you write that letter? How do you write that letter? And the best advice that I, I can give them is to say, just say thank you. Yes. Because this event for them, every time, sorry, it's not a joyous event for them at all. It is. It brings grief. It doesn't matter. It brings some closure that 
you may their it. organ would go to somebody to help save their life, but they don't have their loved one. Yes. And and that will never it, we can never bring them back uh, with the donation, but it does bring some closure. So writing them um, and thanking them mm-hmm. for what they did is is the the best advice I can give. We did that for six to eight weeks for two years. Um, and the process from uh, the organ uh, organization is that you don't meet hmm. the recipient family uh, uh, or the donor family, uh, at least within that first year. And the yeah. first move is from the donor family. You can write letters and you give them to the organization or through the hospital process and they'll get it to them. Uh, but and then vice versa back to us. But it's not it's not something that, you know, they're all, you know, moving in that direction. It's absolutely in the hands of the donor family, whatever they're comfortable with. And you, and you don't know you always associate what your family's doing and you transfer that to the donor family like that's what they're like your family but you have no idea mm-hmm. there could be i mean they could be on any spectrum completely opposite of you um and so you always assume that they are but you don't know so me having to be very tactful very kind mm-hmm. very loving um and that patient and patient um so we wrote 2 years after the first letter that I wrote, we get a letter back from the sister. And she had said that, I don't think that my mom and dad will contact you. Mm. Will ever be able to. They, it's just, it's so just much hurt. Too, too much. And we understood. Thank you for writing. And, yes. and she said a few other things here, and we got to know her a little bit that way. And she said, I would love to meet you yes. all sometime. I just need some more the time. Sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sister. Yeah, the sister. Sure. And so... Um, about a year later, mm-hmm. we get a letter from the mom. Yeah, Lavetta. Yes. <laughs> and um, she just is saying thank you for writing. I have not been well. I have not uh, been able to process this. Um, so we put absolutely zero pressure on her at all. Just whatever we could do to be a blessing to her, to be an encouragement to her, to help her get through this time is what our position was. And so it went back and forth with letters for a while and um, then some emails. Um, and then um, one day on uh, Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. we were driving to Salem Springs or somewhere, mm-hmm. and I get a phone call, and it's Lavetta, the mom. Just to hear her voice for the first, first time. It, and I had her number in, in my phone, but I, and it said Lavetta. I was like, so he pulled over on the side of the road because it's like, okay, what's going on here? And she said, I just on this heart day, I wanted <laughs> to talk to you, mm. and it was just such a joyous time. So we we spoke about a lot of things, and she told us so much more about our son Micah, mm-hmm. who he, is our heart donor. Yes, his name is Micah, um, uh, and. Uh, so we, we got to know that he had his own company in Kansas City, a green, a green construction company. Mm-hmm. That, he um, was so involved in his community, and yes, they loved him so He was so 29 much. years old. Oh, yes. He um, was youth director at uh, their church. Mm-hmm. Um, very involved in community. They had a kite festival mm-hmm. uh, every year 
in Topeka, Kansas. He recovered bicycles and yes. got them all repaired and up to shape and gave them and to gave them children to who didn't have bicycles. Children. It just, it it's was just incredible. an amazing, amazing story. <laughs> How his there life were, touched so many people. There are a lot of things that he was involved in that we found that, that mirrored my life. Well, Jeff owned his own business, and he was a youth director at our church. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is unbeknownst to us, we but yet that familiarity, you know, connection. And so <clears throat> months went by, and years actually went by, and one day Lavetta said, I would like to, to meet you all. Um, and we said, okay, Lavetta, whatever works for you. Of course, yeah. So we did that probably four or five times, and at the very last moment, She's she like, said, can't I do can't it. do it. And it's like, that's okay, okay. not a problem. We scheduled and all that. Yes, ma'am. Well, on the, the sixth anniversary, six years, um, of my transplant, she called and said— And Micah's death And also. Micah's death. Oh, of course, right. Yes. Um, she called and said, I'd like to meet with y'all. I said, we will be there. So We were in Kansas City we in, for Jeff's uh, annual checkup, So and that's where— uh, Lavetta and their family <clears throat> resided and lived. So yeah, Lavetta and Vern, um, and then so, um, so we stayed in the hotel. The hotel said, "Hey, we're going to give you a whole room. Hmm. You guys just have this whole room." Because we didn't know exactly, you know, it, one if it was going to happen, two yeah. how, what the response directly was going to be, and how in a reaction was going to so take place. So we went in the room. We were just sitting there waiting, and Lavetta calls. <laughs> And says, I'm driving around the hotel. Like, I just can't. gone around three times. I just don't know if I can do it. And we told her, Lavetta, that's fine. Not a problem at all. Yep. It's whatever you need. So she eventually came in. Uh, great. Ex- I mean, it's surreal. Um, we, you don't know what she looks like. She doesn't know what no. you look no. like. <laughs> no, none of that. Um, and so like, she came in, of course, immediately hugs. Yes. Um, we brought a thesoscope. Just in case. Just in case you know. she wanted to listen. But she's not a thesoscope kind of person. I just said, Lavetta just here. So she just put her head on my chest. Oh, my gosh. And, and Liz, yes, it was just, it, it was there, it, it seemed like forever. And it was wonderful. Well, she a said wonderful that experience. as they were letting Micah go. When they had made the decision, that she just laid on his chest and listened until the heart stopped beating. And then this was, for her, a very surreal thing, being able to hear Micah again. See, the last time I heard the, this heart was in, in the hospital <laughs> when I was saying bye to my son. We're going to spend some more time with Marita and Jeff Clarity just ahead on this edition of Ozarks at Large. It takes more than the unbelievable gift from a donor family and the skill of a vast medical team. It takes community. And we'll find out how that community came together for the Clarities in just a few minutes. KUAF is giving away tickets to the 74th annual Eureka Springs Folk Festival, November 11th through the 14th. Performers include Gangsta Grass and The Creek Rocks, Todd Snyder, Arkansas, Sam Baker, and more. The winner will be announced Friday, November 5th, during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Registration and details available at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. We're going to continue our conversation with the Clarities about Jeff's heart transplant journey in just a few minutes. But last week, we also reached Michael Scott, a spokesperson for Arkansas Regional Organ Recovery Agency, or Aurora, a statewide organization facilitating organ donation. Michael Scott says, though people registering as donors continues to grow, 
There still aren't enough donors to fulfill transplant needs. Fortunately, it doesn't because only less than 1% of the population actually dies in a manner to become an organ donor. So even though we have over 50% of the state in our registry, people just don't pass away in a manner to become organ donors naturally. Aurora tries to sign up as many donors in Arkansas as possible. The most common way to become a donor for years has been to sign up when receiving or renewing a driver's license. But we have other ways people can register. Uh, We are always out and about in the community. So if you ever see one of us out and about in the community, we usually are doing some registration on site. We have an online registry at www.donatelifearkansas.org where people can go in and create their own account and register themselves and they can dictate which what they want to register and uh, kind of control their own account. And we also have our newest technology, which is called Swipe, which you will see in some of our in some of the libraries we've been installing across the state. It's a it's a technology where you just it's kiosk where you just swipe up, uh, walk up to it, use your driver's license, and you're registered in less than ten seconds. Scott says nationally there are more than one hundred thousand people waiting for organ donations, including more than two hundred people in Arkansas. Aurora handles organ procurement for most of Arkansas. One person can save up to eight people. But through tissue donation, people can help up to save the 90 people, really. Uh, so every person is a potential life-saving donor. You can learn more about Aurora and organ donation in Arkansas at DonateLifeArkansas.org. New York City is home to thousands of food delivery workers, but the job isn't always smooth sailing. When the customer sees their bill from like Grubhub or DoorDash, you know, they see different fees and costs of the items and the tip, but what's not listed on the, the bill is the human toll on the workers. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered this afternoon from 3 to 6 on KUAF, and you can listen live at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. We're going to continue now our visit with the Clarities, Jeff and Marita, about Jeff's heart transplant story. He received a heart from a donor, 29-year-old Micah, almost 12 years ago. As we continue our conversation, we'll learn how friends and friends the Clarities hadn't met yet rallied in support. And we also learned that a big decision was made by a 14-year-old Micah that would change lives when he decided to become an organ donor. Marita Clarity picks up the story for us. They were having a career day at his school, and he called his mom and said, Mom, they've got a donor uh, table set up here for organs. Can I do that? She said, Micah, that's wonderful, because their whole family is to give back to the community. That's the way he was raised with his mom and and dad and such. So she said, yes, that's wonderful, Micah. I'll sign off on the consent. So the decision of a 14-year-old to save Jeff's life. Yes, he... At 14, he made the decision to become an organ donor with approval of his parents. And at 29 is when I received his heart. I was 47. So you think, okay, the decision that a 14-year-old would make, what, 15 years later, literally saved my life. When you were 32. I was 47. 47. But 32 when you signed. Goodness knows what you were doing that day. No, exactly. No. You know, and and making a life-changing, I mean. Decision. People that say that young people, you know, are just young people and they get through life. I mean, I was youth director at our church, and they're wonderful, wonderful 
people, important, young, life-saving adults. <laughs> young adults. That and they we make don't... such decisions that mm-hmm. affect their life and so many other people's. Mm-hmm. So many times and it's we important yeah. to reach out to those young people at that stage uh, for any aspect of their lives, not just organ donation, but any aspect of their lives. So. Yes. You're you, youth director at the church, I'm, so faith is important to you. Yes. 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 And, and I, I don't want to pry, but has that, has, has your faith st- strengthened since then? Has it changed? Yes, uh, yes it's, it's it, of course, how, how could it not change? But the through this whole process, th- this woman's amazing because um, she <laughs> she um, just stayed strong, s- didn't have any guarantee, and this is something that the transplant team had commented to us about, that the a lot of people go into this thinking, oh, I'm just going to get a transplant, going to go through and be fine. And there's lots of issues that come up. Um, we didn't go into it that way. We knew that I, I'm, every day is a gift. Mm-hmm. And when we were, I had, after my bypass in, in June, and we had to wait six months, and we found out that the, um, tra- the bypass didn't work, every day that um, I was going to sleep, wake up at night, we'd say goodnight to each other. And because she didn't know if I would even be alive the next morning. And that's where you put your faith in that, the creator and you trust him so that that's, that's the only way that you can survive is to know there's something bigger than Beyond just us. This, yes. it's, this is, there's got to be more than just us. Is there, is there a sense of responsibility afterward? I mean, mm-hmm. because this gift has been given and do you think and I'm not trying to be silly but oh I better not eat that third piece of bacon or or whatever that literally is in my mind every moment still to today almost 12, 12 years, years later, later there's an obligation to take care of care this, of this gift. gift that's literally and when we have the opportunity and the blessing to speak with other people waiting or who are recipients and such we will communicate along in, in the time that we have to speak with them, you know, that take care of it, be careful, you know, guard it. There's, for, for us, there's so much, and it's, it's so much, and I say responsibility, but I say that responsibility with joy. Mm-hmm. It's, not it's not a drudgery. It's, sure. it's a wonderful responsibility because for us, it crosses so many boundaries, uh, even in this community even. Um, not only do I want to take care of this heart for... Micah mm-hmm. and Lavetta and all the other people who are organ donors, but the community came out during this time, you know, that <laughs> in just an unbelievable way that, again, I wouldn't have had the transplant had it not been for the Northwest Arkansas community and beyond. Yes. Because it's not an inexpensive no. it is very procedure I, or recovery. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Self-employed. And- had insurance, and I was usually very faithful about making sure I get the right kind. Um, but And I got some insurance, but it didn't cover any prescription medications. And that was the primary expense that the yes. team, the transplant team, was concerned with following it. They didn't want to give him the, the opportunity for life and then send him home not to be able to get the medicines because they're thousands and thousands of dollars a month, you know, to maintain for the rest of his life. The first two years, you're looking at eight to 10000 a month just Medicines. for those medications and I had zero coverage 
So the transplant team, the first time that it, they meet every two weeks. They meet at a nice long table and, I went, and they yeah, meet and talk about you, what can we do for this recipient and for their family. Yeah. And I went through evaluation, which is a huge process, you know, um, to see if he's psychologically healthy. everything, see if I can even handle the wow. transplant. So, and then after that, they meet every two weeks, say, okay, here's a candidate. And um, they have to check everything. They check financial records. They check health, physical, emotional, and all these check-off lists. And when they check the health, uh, check the finances and check the the insurance and things that is that, you have social workers that are there with you as a patient or as a possible transplant recipient who is in their little notebooks and in their fields of expertise saying, can we change this? Can we uh, address this? Could we uh, 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 go and see if we're uh, qualified for this and things such as that? And all of those doors were shutting uh, for Jeff and I for the financial uh, and uh, insurance aspects of Social workers were looking at every way that they could make it work and So it wasn't that they just said, nope, check them off. It was just a matter of there was no other rock or avenue to turn over or search through. So we came back from evaluation, successful in evaluation Mm -hmm. that being evaluated for transplant, yes, I'm a great candidate. Everything looks good. But the flip side was we had no prescription medication money. So they sent us home from that, and we were traveling from Kansas City, Missouri, back to Arkansas, and we had called and let our family know that Jeff made it through uh, 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 evaluation. evaluation good and everything. The problem, they've not negated him from doing it, but their concern is that we're not going to financially be able to support us. Uh, and they're not going to send me home to die. <clears throat> right. Sure. For that first it. two years without the financial uh, uh, means to get the medicines. Yes. So they immediately hung up and put it out on the pro chain and through the community and such. Unbeknownst to us how far reaching this was. And we get a phone call. From, on the way, we went a little bit yes. longer down the road. And then we get a phone call back at us. Yeah, we were in Joplin, coming through Joplin. Channel 5. <laughs> and a 14-year-old little girl whose brother and sisters had been in our youth ministry. She, we had retired before she got to be in our youth ministry, and she was so disappointed because <laughs> Brother Jeff and Miss Maria were so much fun. And she just loved us, uh, and we loved her. We loved their family very much. And she had called them and said, I know this man, and he's wonderful. He deserves this, and we've got to do something. What can we do? And he said, I know what we can do. It was Mr. Uh, Robert Boyd from Channel 5, and he said, I know what we can do. So he called and said, I want to interview you guys and make the community aware of what's going on. Yeah, we were shocked. We were like, how did you, how did you know? find out about this? And so we've he gave not us told her name, anybody. and we just went, oh, my goodness. So Another 14-year-old, yes. by the way. <laughs> I noticed, yeah. So we went home, and on the way home, we stopped at Jeff's business, which at that time he had had to retire from it because of the chemicals and the scratches and stuff that could be done on his hands. And we stopped there, and they met us there and did the first interview. And Jeff and I are not frontline people. Uh, we really are, we love behind the scenes. We love to yeah. serve and do. And matter of fact, my first thought when we got the call is, I don't want to do, I don't want to be <laughs> front up front. I don't want to do this. This is not who we are. You but know. from that point, within a two-week period, the community. Jeff had served our community for almost 30 years at that time, and it was a generational business. We had students who grew up to be mamas and daddies who are grandparents now, and now their grandchildren are coming in to see us. And 
Some of them had been affected by the University of Arkansas and now had gone and graduated and lived in other parts of the world. And they were commenting and contacting back. And within a two-week period, there was a $150,000. The first two weeks is, is right. We needed one hundred and fifty. Hundred and sixty thousand for the to first two years of medication. Make the medication quali qualifications. So, within and that two week period, between getting home and going back to meet with the team again in Kansas City, that money was raised yeah. by our community, <laughs> and it was very humbling and still is to this day. And when Jeff says that we have a responsibility back to our community to say thank you again and again and again and to serve them <laughs> that's what he means in that because when we went back well we didn't go back we called them and told them we have the money <laughs> and the team said to us who are you people mm -hmm. and we said we're nobody this is our community that has reached out to us and there's no words there's no uh, amount of to money. This, or, to this day, we see people on the streets. And that see, Jeff, that, that see, hasn't seen Some people think I passed away because <laughs> I've been out of the, you know, not on the TV and right. and not in the shop. And, and other people are just, you look good. You know, I'll be mowing the lawn on the side of the road. <laughs> can and, you do that, And Jeff? they say, can you do that? Should you not be in bed? <laughs> Things like that, you know. And it's, it's just every time we see somebody, and, you know, it doesn't matter what, Political affiliation, religious yeah. affiliation, where you stand on anything—it just, you know, I, I dealt with all kinds of people from all walks of life, mm -hmm. and every single one of them um, came together in this yes. community and and poured out what they had to—they yes. saw a need, yes. and we never asked. No, the, the thing is, I said I don't want to ask for any money we from anybody. Said, we need we money just told the story, story that you know, and they all—I mean, just from. From preachers to bar owners, yeah. you know, JB Hunt to janitors uh, in, it in schools. Just was it just it was unbelievable, unbelievable, and it's so humbling, you know, and um, just so breathtaking just to know. Okay, and I see people around, and I know people that give, and and I just think every time I see them, I just I'm just so grateful. Jeff and Marita Clarity came to our studio last week to talk about their experiences with organ donation. The day we talked, one of their granddaughters was taking her driving test and told them she had decided to become an organ donor. The Clarities say they take every opportunity to spread the word about organ donation, a process they both say they understand is a personal choice. And they also talk about how it can affect so many other people. As the Clarities talked about the community support they received, I couldn't help but think of the closing minutes of a pretty famous movie. Have you ever seen this movie called It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, have it <laughs> yes. in our collection. <laughs> so at the end, right, when George Bailey has come back home yeah. and there's the community, and it's they're literally giving literally. money. I mean, we, there's not a dry eye in our home when we watch that because that's our community yes, that just that, came that's forward. Yes, we, that's exactly what we think of when we watch that movie, especially at the end. It's just like... Man, that's the Northwest Arkansas community right there. Right there. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Merton's Eye and Optical in Fayetteville, offering curated selections of handcrafted eyewear and sunglasses from independent eyewear manufacturers, including Salt Optics, Crew, Mykeeda, and more. Eyewear styling consultations are available. 
More information at MertonsEye.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us. Remember, you can listen to us whenever you want on your schedule because there is an Ozarks at Large podcast version of our daily show. Free subscription or download available through your preferred podcast distributor. The Sam M. Walton College of Business and the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame Board are announcing the next four inductees into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame. The class of 2022 will include Peggy Clark, owner and managing partner of Clark Timberlands, Tom Faust, who is chair of Morgan Stanley Investment Management and former chair and CEO of Eaton Vance, George Gleason, chair and CEO of Bank OZK, and Ginger Graham, founder and owner of Graham and & Baker, and former president and CEO of Amlin Pharmaceuticals. The four will be recognized for their contributions to their respective industries in an event that takes place at the State House Convention Center in Little Rock on February 11th. The Arkansas Business Hall of Fame is housed in the atrium of the Donald W. Reynolds Center for Enterprise Development at the Walton College on the U of A campus in Fayetteville. The class of 22 selections were made by a committee of 11 Arkansas business leaders. Criteria for selection include significance of the impact made as a business leader, the concern demonstrated for improving the community, and the display of ethics in all business dealings. Living inductees do have to be over the age of 60. How does it feel? I'm Robin Young. Broadway's Girl from North Country uses Bob Dylan's music as a soundtrack to a story about the desperation of Depression-era Duluth, Minnesota. That's next time, here and now. Here and now, ahead this afternoon, beginning at 1. You can also listen with the free KUAF app. This is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow on our show, we'll give you a preview of the fifth episode of the podcast, Undisciplined, produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore in conjunction with the University of Arkansas's Department of African and African American Studies. The goal of the podcast is to demonstrate every discipline on campus and in the greater community is connected to the study and understanding of African and African American studies. And this week, the UA's Department of African and African American Studies will host a pair of public events with that same idea in mind. It's open to the campus community and the greater community. Karee Banton, the head of the department and the host of Undisciplined, recently came to our studio to deliver a preview of these Thursday sessions. She says this year's fall lecturer follows a tradition of bringing in national voices to speak to the local community. We've brought the likes of Nicole Hannah-Jones, who created the journalist and created the 1619 Project. We've brought Carol Anderson, who is the author of White Rage, um, Professor Emery. We've brought Kaisi Lemon, who is a award-winning author who wrote the book Heavy, mm. right? So that's the last three uh, heavy hitters that we've brought to campus. And so in thinking about who to bring next, Next, uh, it was a no-brainer. We're in a pandemic, you know. Uh, African and African American studies tend to be, uh, if you let it, a very humanities focus. Um, but we very much, as I said, our interdisciplinary program, right? Um, that's our emphasis. And so, given that we're in a pandemic, we were like. 
why not bring a scientist, right? Right. <laughs> why not bring a scientist? So we brainstormed uh, a number of different um, people, usually, you know, someone who we think uh, could in this space and time, you know, could bring to campus because we love having the speakers interact with students, go to uh, go to their classrooms, uh, you know, have one-on-one sessions with some students, maybe talk to graduate students about career and so, and so on and so forth. So looking for speakers who would fit that bill, you know, that kind of criteria, who have the kind of um, finger on the pulse, you know, of what is going on in our times. So th- those are some of the things that, you know, goes into our our calculations and thinking about bringing a speaker. So we are in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. As you and I sit here, I think we're 19 and a half months into it. Oh, Lord. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so you went to the CDC. Uh, so that's where we turned. We were thinking, and if you recall, uh, early in the pandemic, that this was largely affecting minority communities. Certainly, black communities took the hit very hard, right? So we thought about creating uh, a fall series to really address pandemics, medicine, and the black community. And so we sought to, you know, not only get our faculty involved, but the speaker who we're bringing in. So it will be a two-part event. We will have a lunchtime colloquium that will start at 11, uh, where we will uh, have individuals who are from the community, but also also from campus relating their research and their practice, right? So for instance, we will have Dr. Belinga from the Belinga Clinic uh, who will talk about trusting your doctor, right? The patient's perspective, right? He runs the Belinga Clinic for Neurology down in Fort Smith. We will have um, Dr. Trish Starks, who I'm sure you know very well. Yes. Yeah, she she recently taught that fascinating honors course on bad medicine. And so she will be given the overview on race, medicine, and pandemics and be moderating this uh, colloquium. Uh, Dr. Brittany Hearn um, is in sociology, and she will be talking about recognizing privilege and how college-educated black Americans manage stress. I mean, stress is a big issue during this pandemic, and so it's great to have a sociologist whose expertise is around that area. And then we'll have Dr. Tamika Bailey, who has been doing some very fascinating research uh, on cancer, and she'll be talking about the racial disparity of breast cancer mortality in black women. So we will have, you know, that uh, at, at, at the lunchtime colloquium. And then uh, for the keynote lecture at 6 p.m., we will have Dr. Ernest Eufenue from the CDC. Right. Right? Um, who better to go than to the source directly? We don't have to be wondering or asking questions. This is uh, the organization that's helping to form policy, do very heavily involved in research and experimentations. And so Dr. Eufenue will be talking about uh, his lecture will be on containing contagions, right? The overlapping pandemics of HIV, 
COVID-19 and the global black community. And so we are just very thrilled to have uh, Dr. Yufenue on campus as the keynote lecturer uh, who will be able to speak about that given his over 15 years of experience um, in infectious diseases, um, his international experience working in public health policy formulation and implementation, and his specific area of focus, which is um, global HIV and other infectious disease, to help us think about here was HIV, that was the pandemic some 40 years ago, right. right? And to think about that jointly, we're in a double pandemic, a dual pandemic, to think about that alongside COVID-19, right, to produce a new perspective. So um, given the, the, the effects of COVID-19 and HIV on the black community, we believe that Dr. Eufenue's expertise, especially in virology, um, that his visits would be invaluable to not just the university community, people in microbiology and, you know, all of the, the sciences, um, Pat Walker Health Center and all of that kind of stuff, but to uh, the local community as well. So it's relevant to not only many parts of the university, but to our local community who might have questions that have been going unanswered or been overwhelmed by the amount of information that they've probably read online. Oh, I think there will be questions. <laughs> Korea, I think there will be questions. Uh, so as you mentioned, part of this, uh, the idea is to interact with the community. So both the colloquium at lunchtime and the 6 p.m. keynote uh, open to the public? Yes. We, um, as an African African American Studies program, we are... Nothing without the community. When this uh, program was created some over 50 years ago, a part of it uh, was making sure we have a relevant education, right? And so having the community buttress that, um, be able to have the community's voice, to have that relationship with the community is of extreme importance to us. So um, I'd like to really thank you, Kyle, for really broadcasting and projecting this kind of event to the community. So we would really, given that it is even virtual for the community to to plug in and to log into both events. Free? Free of charge. So what do you do? So to log into uh, this event, we'd first like you to to go and register, and you can find the links um, at aasd.uark.edu, right? Or if you just search for African African American Studies in the college, uh, William Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, you'll be able to find it, and you will see it right there under News and Events um, on that page. And we have the links there. You can, uh, you know, certainly sign up, and you will be sent the Zoom link, and you know, you'd be able to get into the event. It's hard to imagine there's a major on the University of Arkansas campus that doesn't have an interest in the pandemic. Business, communications, sciences, Absolutely, ag, absolutely. Know. I mean, if you, if you recall, uh, you know, the pandemic touched 
all the disciplines, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was, you know, a supply chain, um, talking about, you know, moving masks or hand sanitizers from one place to the next. Um, you know, departments of uh, English were thinking about how pandemics have occurred um, or, or how it 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 uh, is talked about in literature and, and things like that. Our authors think about pandemics or, as I said, Dr. Starks, who's a historian, how right. she thinks about historically how these kinds of issues have been dealt with and experienced um, by different... So from business to science to engineering to to, to law, all the kinds of issues around masks and different treatments, you know, Pat Walker Health Center, all of these different disciplines. There is a stake in it for everyone. Karee Banton is the director of the University of Arkansas's Department of African and African-American Studies. She is also the host of the podcast On Discipline, produced in conjunction with the department by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore. We'll hear a preview of the next episode of that podcast on tomorrow's edition of Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF. New episodes of Undisciplined are released every other Wednesday tomorrow's and every other Wednesday. And past editions can be found wherever you find your preferred podcast. And during our recent conversation, Karee mentioned that Thursday's colloquium and evening lecture came together with an undisciplined spirit. That is, several campus disciplines working together. She says the departments of biology, history, and English, the College of Engineering, the Pat Walker Health Center, and the University of Arkansas Office of Diversity and Inclusion are all among Thursday events co-sponsors. For those of you who were complaining in August about hot temperatures, well, congratulations. Here we are in a rainy autumn. The National Weather Service says we might, in northwest Arkansas, have our first sub-freezing temperature of the uh, season in just a couple of days. Tonight's forecast calls for an 80 to 90 percent chance of thunder showers throughout the KUAF listening area. Between a quarter and half inch of rainfall possible. Tonight's lows in the upper 30s in northwest Arkansas, mid 40s for the Arkansas River Valley. Tomorrow before lunchtime, 50 to 60 percent chance of rain. Highs, highs from 42 to 45. Then Wednesday night, cloudy. And here's where that potential sub-freezing temperature comes in. Wednesday night's lows in northwest Arkansas could dip to 31 In the Arkansas River Valley, Wednesday night lows 37. But then Thursday, sunshine, highs in the mid-50s. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Support for KUAF comes from La Jolla Agency, presenting Beatles vs. Stones, a musical showdown, Wednesday, November 10th, at the Majestic Fort Smith. Beatles and Rolling Stones National Touring Tribute Bands will perform sets, and the audience will pick their favorite from their performances. Advanced tickets are available at MajesticFortSmith.com. This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Sherry Ottaviano, who is our membership director. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Good. It's it's damp and cold outside. This feels... I think a lot of people think about autumn with the changing leaves and these brilliant blue skies. When I think of autumn... These are the days I think of these, the sad jack-o'-lanterns that are still in the front porches. Exactly, exactly. These are sleepy days for me. They are very sleepy. Well, let's wake somebody up 
because they're going to be the winner for October. For That's KUAF. right. It's my favorite time of the month. We get to say thank you and invite someone to have a night out on us uh, just because they contributed during the month of October. And that winner this month is Becky Morehouse from Lowell, Arkansas. L.A. All right. And so we will be getting those items that allow Becky to have an eye on us right. to her through the United States Postal Service. Service. That's right. We appreciate right. those guys. Um, they'll be delivering a uh, Mockingbird dinner gift card and movie passes to Becky in the next day or two. All right. And if you want to hear your name, perhaps called a month from now, because you contributed in November. How do you do that? You do that by making a contribution. You can do that um, by sending in a check, by making an online gift. You can make a gift through our KUAF app. Uh, there's a link there. So um, we try to make it as easy as possible. And if you want to, you can stop by the station and drop off. Sustaining members automatically entered. Automatically. Sherry Ottaviano, Membership Director, thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle. With misinformation and disinformation around every corner, it's important to understand how responsible, fact-based journalism should function. That's why KUAF created Ask a Journalist, a way of asking your questions through our Connects feature on the KUAF app or phone line. Ask your question by simply downloading the KUAF app for iPhone at the App Store. Click the Connect button at the bottom of your screen, set up your account, and send us your question about how journalism works. You can also call the Connect line at 479-575-6577. Thanks so much for being with us for this rainy Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 for a brand new edition of our show. And if you ever miss an episode of Ozarks at Large, or you didn't miss it, but you want to share something that you heard on the program, we've got a couple of ways to help you. You can go to OzarksAtLarge.com. We have a list of past shows and past individual stories and interviews. With those are links that you can use to listen or share through email and social media. You can also sign up for the free Ozarks at Large KUAF daily email newsletter. It's put together by our own Sherry Ottaviano, and that gives you an in inbox uh, arrival every Monday through Friday with a list of what was on the show that day. And again, those handy links that let you directly listen or share a story or interview. You can sign up for the free Ozarks at Large KUAF daily email newsletter at KUAF.com. This is KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Mayfield. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Our thanks to Sherry Ottaviano, our membership director, for playing along with us today. Remember, if you'd like to hear your name as the KUAF November A Night on Us winner, all you have to do is contribute to KUAF during the month of November. You can learn much more about all the options in different ways at support. KUAF.com. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's often performing live at his Facebook and Instagram feeds Monday through Friday afternoons around 4 o'clock our time. Additional content for today's show came from KUAR, Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellens. Please take care of yourself. We'll talk soon.